This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Two individuals that back in 2015 uh, were found guilty of plotting to derail uh, a VIA train en route from New York to Toronto, a terrorist-related activity that uh, saw them in jail with no chance of parole till 2023. Well, now it turns out that uh, upon making a petition for a new trial based on uh, what they say was improper jury selection, seems like they're going to get just that, a new trial. Let's find out how this all unraveled or played out accordingly, I guess you could say. Defense lawyer Megan Savard has joined the Oakley Show at Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Ms. Savard, I appreciate your joining us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. So are we talking about a new trial then based on the fact that the method of jury selection was deemed to be improper? That's exactly right. I see. And uh, for both individuals, I mean, are you representing both or just uh, one of the... Uh, uh, the individuals involved here? I was appeal counsel for Mr. Jazzer. Uh, Mr. Essegeyer, his co-defendant, is still self-represented as he was at trial, and uh, Amicus Curie, a friend of the court, a uh, lawyer appointed to make arguments on his behalf, uh, did that at the Court of Appeal. I see. All right. So tell me then, uh, if the jury selection was improper, if you can walk us through it in layperson's terms, uh, how did this unravel? Sure. So the the background information and the assumption that we make is that fair jury selection is a hallmark of Canadian justice. It's especially important in cases like this with what I'd call saturation level publicity. Uh, It can be hard to find impartial jurors in a very public case like this one. And juries must be impartial for the trial judge for the trial to be fair. Equally as important, the process must be seen to be fair in order for us to have confidence confidence in the jury's verdict. Jury deliberations are secret and and can't be publicized. Uh, In 2006, Parliament created a selection procedure that judges could use to make sure the jury was impartial. There were a few different ways the jury could be selected, and it was up to the defendant to choose which way he wanted his jury to be selected. That's one of his uh, rights in a jury trial uh, currently, and uh, the judge in Mr. Jazzer's trial unfortunately rejected Mr. Jazzer's argument that he was entitled to select his jury in a particular way, imposed a different selection method, and uh, thereby took that right away from him. So uh, he's been in jail since his arrest in 2013, waiting for a trial in front of a jury that's been chosen legally. Hasn't happened yet. Were you his original defense attorney? No, his trial lawyers uh, are both now uh, judges of uh, one of the federal court and one of the Ontario Superior Court. I see. So you assumed the case then, and... uh on this basis, uh, were you the one who presented this latest argument before the judge that uh, dismissed the original, uh, or set aside, I guess, the original finding? Yes, my law partner, Frank Adario, and I. I see. All right, so uh, if you're going back to trial, uh, is it at a a different level of court, uh, or is it going to just be retried at the same level? How's that going to work? It would be retried in the at the same level, the Superior Court of Justice. At the Superior Court. Now, uh, is there any complexities uh, in having a retrial? I mean, hasn't the defense already shown its hand, for example? Uh, so I wouldn't say anything beyond what you'd normally see in the case of a retrial. It's certainly not unheard of for complex cases or even highly publicized complex cases to be sent back for retrials. Uh, and, and typically... Uh, 
counsel manage. Uh, some of the features of the trial may look different due to the passage of time and changes in the law and uh, developments uh, and agreements in terms of the legal issues and the evidence, but uh, that, that's, a, that's a headache that counsel doing retrials have to deal with in every case, not just this one. So is there a potential for new evidence? Uh, there's always a potential for new evidence in a retrial or different evidence or for the prosecution to call its case differently. I see. But they have to submit that to you, the defense, in advance so you know uh, there's no surprises, right? Yes. If there's new evidence, then uh, the Crown actually has an ongoing obligation throughout the appeal to provide that to us. So how now uh, will we be ensured that the jury selection will be done according to Hoyle? Uh, What changes will be made in that effect? Uh, Well, by uh, a little bit of a coincidence in timing, uh, there are actually a whole new set of rules regarding jury selection that are going to come into force shortly and will likely be in force by the time uh, that Mr. Jazzer and Ethikai are are retried, if they are retried. And uh, so those new rules will apply. Uh, It'll be up to counsel at the retrial, so us Uh, at the retrial, doing the same thing that we did, uh, or that the trial counsel at the first trial did, which is putting forward the best arguments in favor of the the correct approach uh, that they could. And and I will say that the method of jury selection that the Court of Appeal upheld today and said Mr. Jazzer was entitled to, that was exactly what he had asked for through his lawyers, and they put forward an argument about why they were entitled to that. So the, the problem was just that the trial judge uh, didn't correctly apply the law. The approach of counsel would be very similar in this case. You'd look at the new rules, which are going to come into force, uh, make arguments about how they should apply and, and offer some guidance and proposed interpretation to the new trial judge and uh, hope that uh, he or she gets it right this time. Yeah, that was my understanding. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but there was some confusion surrounding the rules of selecting a jury because it was kind of shape-shifting at the moment of the trial, which perhaps accounts for the judge uh, getting it wrong, as it were, because that's why we're doing this all over again, hitting a reset of sorts. Uh, Would that be about (laughs) a layperson's interpretation of things? or was some, I guess, the fog of changing the rules in, uh, you know, in the process. Yeah, that's exactly right. In 2015, trial judges had been disagreeing about how to choose a jury. Uh, shortly after this trial, the Court of Appeal handed down a different case saying, we're resolving the debate. There's one right, right way of doing it, and here's the right way. Uh, that decision retroactively made our trial judge in the original trial wrong and made the position of Mr. Jazzer's original trial lawyers correct. And so we sought to have their position um, or to put forward that position as the right approach on appeal. The Court of Appeal accepted that argument. Would it be fair to say you won on appeal due to a technicality? Uh, I appreciate that uh, it's a difficult to understand argument, uh, but I, I wouldn't call it a technicality for A very simple reason. We accept as a premise of the Canadian justice system that Canadian or that the defendant should be involved in the jury selection process. And the route that Mr. Jazer wanted to take uh, was one that has been recognized for years as having substantive benefits to the defendant. 
now there are corresponding benefits to some of the other methods of jury selection, but they're different benefits, and it's for the defendant to choose. So in, in layperson's terms, uh, what Mr. Jazzer wanted was for a different set of uh, different members of the public to choose each member of the jury because the jury itself is chosen by other members of the public. Mr. Jazzer wanted there to be rotating triers, meaning every juror is selected by a new set of people, fresh eyes, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And the trial judge instead imposed a procedure called static triers, meaning the same two people selected all 12 juries. And uh, to understand the substantive benefit to Mr. Jazzer, all you have to do is consider, uh, would you think a jury of four people is as fair as a jury of 12? We have this understanding when it comes to the involvement of the public in the criminal justice system that up to a point, involving more decision, more people in the decision making, spreading that responsibility around is a good thing. It, result, it creates sounder results. That's true of the 12 member jury, and it's true of the rotating trier process by which you're not saddling the selection of an entire jury uh, or saddling two people with the selection of an entire jury when one of those two or both might have some unexplored bias or perspective on the case that would taint the full process. So you rotate the triers and you have a, a greater pool of these peers who decide who gets to sit on the jury and that makes it uh, more likely that a jury is impartial or it spreads it out instead of sort of uh, building in uh, a hardened position or a point of view because there are the static triers, I guess, if I'm understanding it correctly, but still ultimately it's up to uh, the Crown and defense to determine ultimately who does compose that jury, doesn't it? Uh, in part. It's up to uh, the Crown and the defense and the trial judge and these these triers, these members of the public that we're speaking of. Uh, so in a case like this one, both the Crown and the defense can challenge, uh, meaning they can say to themselves that pr prospective juror, I don't want them, and they're gone. Everyone gets a certain number of peremptory challenges, or you can challenge for cause, meaning you can uh, ask that the prospective juror be removed for reasons of bias or partiality. Uh, if the defense and the Crown are both content, it is still up to these two members of the public, either the rotating triers or the static triers, to then confirm that the jury is, the juror, the prospective juror is entitled to sit on the jury. So it's a it's a multi-participant process. I had no idea it was as complex as it is. I guess I'm watching too much American television. Uh, but that being said, so what is now the status of your clients? They're still in jail or are they going to get bail? How does that work? Uh, Mr. Jazzer and Mr. Essegeyer are both still in jail. Uh, they would stay in jail until either their case is disposed of in a way that results in their release or until they bring a successful application for bail pending trial. And so when does this go to trial again? Uh, it, Pre-trial motions would have to happen first. Uh, it's unlikely those would take place uh, for a few months at least while everyone uh, uh, sorts out timing and what the what the live issues are on the retrial. And then after that, the trial would take place. So I think you'd be looking at uh, court dates in 2020. Which is interesting because the original parole date, uh, first opportunity for parole, I understand, was 2023. Uh, there could be a lot of discounted time served if it really comes to pass and if they're found guilty upon appeal, right? 
Uh, yes, if if there's a retrial, if they're found guilty and sentenced, uh, it could be that they would have served a good chunk of the sentence um, and would be released shortly thereafter. But that, that's a lot of ifs. Yeah, well, all right. Uh, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. Uh, I appreciate your weighing in. It really was, uh, I guess, a complex matter that uh, you explained rather thoroughly. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Megan Savard, again, is the defense lawyer for these two individuals, or at least the one of the two, Raya Jasser, uh, who were originally convicted of this terrorist plot to blow up the Via train. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.